Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. Our guest today on the Pet Show is none other than Carol Baskin. For those of you who have been living on a deserted island for the past eight months, Baskin is the founder of Big Cat Rescue and one of the stars of the Netflix documentary Tiger King, which some 75 million people watched when it first aired. As the main antagonist to Joe Exotic in a role advocating for the closure of so-called sanctuaries that keep lions, tigers, and other big cats as roadside attractions and small zoos that allow visitors to handle these animals up close and in some cases even sell them to private buyers, Baskin has become a lightning rod for controversy and notoriety that has emanated from the film and kept her and the rest of the cast firmly in the public eye. Her main cause, beyond caring for some 50 rescued cats at her Florida facility, is the passage of the Big Cat Rescue Act, which will completely outlaw the private ownership and displaying of these animals for entertainment purposes. We caught up with Baskin some seven months after the premiere of Tiger King, which she says has changed her life completely. Some of it for good and some of it for bad, she admits. But her main concern is for the cats, for which she's had to downsize her facility during the pandemic to maintain their care. She also fears retribution from people who may want to poison or hurt the animals based on the belief that they should be dead rather than caged. This has caused her to rely on a loyal group of volunteers who she's known for over two years or longer to work at Big Cat Rescue. When she joins the conversation, Baskin is wearing her customary leopard print blouse, but is without her flower crown. We talk about her Big Cat Rescue bill, which is now stalled in Congress, her favorite Carol Baskin merchandise, Cardi B, and how she feels about Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live portraying her in the movie version of The Tiger King. So without further ado, Carol Baskin, welcome to The Pet Show. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue. Curious what your first pet was growing up as a child. I know you were always interested in saving cats from a young age, but what, you know, what was your first bonding with an animal? The very first picture that I have of me as a baby was my mother holding me as a tiny little infant, and my father was holding a orange and white cat, and that had been in our family album forever, and so I was just recently scanning the pictures to make them digital. And when I turned it over on the back, the cat's name was Tiger. So it was like, oh, well, that was just the handwriting on the wall, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. And what kind of cat was it? Just a domestic cat. But do you remember what breed? Was it just or just like a neighborhood cat? I'm just I'm, I'm curious if you remember the cat at all. I don't remember the cat other than the photo of the cat, which obviously, you know, I've seen that throughout my entire life. Just a little orange and white, short haired stray. Right. And from there, what's, what are your first memories of being with animals or, or raising animals? The first cat I remember was a black and white tuxedo cat. And I, I'm, I'm thinking it had some, you know, really clever name like Boots. But uh, I also have a, a couple pictures of me carrying that cat around. But I actually remember that cat. And what I remember so vividly about that cat is that it was, it came and went from our house. We lived way out in the middle of the Nonasassa, which was the middle of nowhere back then. And one day I saw that my cat was living at somebody else's house. And I just felt so bad that my cat wanted to go live someplace else. 
I notice that with my cats sometimes. I'll be like, wait, why do they keep looking out the window like they're going to do better away from me than with me? And these are rescue cats. Like, I was like, I took you home to the shelter and now you want to leave? What's going on? (laughs) It's like any door that it has to be open. Otherwise, they'll be begging at the door from either side. Exactly. And I I guess with rescues, it is, you know, you have to accept that these cats are individuals and, you know, they're their own personalities in a way. And I guess it takes a while to to establish and understand that relationship. The two cats I have now are feral cats because nobody would adopt them because they were so feral. And one of them I can finally touch and I can pick her up and pet her. The other one lives under the blankets on my bed. I, I almost never see that cat except for putting down food. <laughs> I'll see her while I'm putting down food, but that's it. Do you notice any interesting connections between house cats and feral cats and the big cats that, that, that you have on your facility? One of the things one of our vets said to us one time, I thought was so uh, telling, and she worked with a clinic where she dealt with domestic dogs and cats, but then she took care of our big cats. And she said, our big cats were always so much easier to deal with because they didn't have anything to prove. Whereas the little cats were like, oh, no, you are not doing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's 100% true. How has the uh, the pandemic affected big cat rescue and your facilities? I'm sure, obviously, you can't do tours and stuff like that. But what is the sort of state of big cat rescue right now? When the pandemic hit, we decided on March the 15th to stop allowing the public to come in. But we have about 50 cats and over 100 volunteers and interns. And all of our animal care at Big Cat Rescue is done by uh, volunteers and interns. We don't pay staff to do that kind of work because people will do that for free. So losing the tour revenue meant we lost about a third of our income. And so I had to let go half of my staff. The paid people here do administrative type work like donor appreciation or, you know, uh, our database management and those kinds of things. So I had to let half of those people go, but I didn't have to let any animal care people go because they were all working for free anyway. So our animal care hasn't suffered a bit. And thankfully, our bottom line has not suffered yet from a lack of people have really stepped up with donations and made up for the difference that we would have had with the revenue from our tours. So we're very thankful that our donors are so supportive in that way. That's great. For somebody like me who loves cats and wants to work with big cats, how do you come to work at Big Cat Rescue? Like, what is the process from becoming a volunteer to being able to work with the big cats themselves. I wonder if you could walk me through that. We actually created an amazing training program for that because working around lions and tigers can get you killed. And we wanted to make sure that people were safe when they were working with our cats. And we don't allow any contact here at all. My, I don't touch the cats. My daughter doesn't touch the cats. We are strictly a hands-off facility, but still the cats can reach out and kill you <laughs> as you walk by. So people need to be really... Uh, very well-trained and very aware of their surroundings. So we created a training program that has 50, count them, five zero (laughs) classes, and they go through a training period. So when a volunteer comes in, we put them in a red shirt, like stoplight. It means stop. You can't go anywhere by yourself. For six months, they're in that red shirt, not working anywhere around the cats, just to make sure that they're really here for the right reason. And they're doing things like working in the gift shop or handling the mailing or things that are non-cat related. After six months, they can graduate. And as they're taking classes along the way and they pass the classes, 
they can graduate to taking care of the small cats like hybrid cats, which are maybe 15 pounds or a bobcat that might be 20 or 25 pounds or a serval that might be 40 pounds. And the biggest cat they can take care of as a red shirt is going to be a lynx, which is about, they can range anywhere from 35 pounds to 65, 75 pounds. We had some that were 90 pounds, but they were, they were outliers. <laughs> um, so anyway, they can take care of the cats up to that size. And then they're in that color shirt for another, I think it's another six months to a year before they can graduate to a yellow shirt, which is cautionary. The cautionary people, again, they're still taking classes along the way. They can take care of cats that are the size of cougars. And then after they've been here for two years, taking care of all of those smaller cats, they can graduate to green. Green is like go. They can go anywhere on the sanctuary. And now they can start taking care of the jaguars and the leopards and the lions and the tigers, the cats that could really kill you from just, you know, you being not paying attention for five minutes or five seconds and you could lose your life even outside the cage and just within striking distance. So, and then every time they take a class, they also have to get certification. So it means they have to watch somebody do it six times. Somebody has to then watch them doing it six times and they have to do written sign-offs for each of those. And it goes through a um, application process as they graduate from one level to the next, where all of the coordinators that they work with and their other coworkers can vote on whether or not they think that person is safe to move to the next level. That was a very long answer, but it's yeah, a lot of no, things. no. It's it's incredible though, and people they wind up getting what an incredible life experience to be able to enter into this in such a casual way, and if you stick with it, to have all of this responsibility, it's amazing. Now, since you've become more prominent in the public eye, have you had people show up at Big Cat Rescue for the wrong reasons? Like, have you had to weed some people out, and you know, how have you sort of? protected yourself from the public eye, I guess, you know, and try and preserve the integrity of Big Cat Rescue? Because of the mischaracterization in Tiger King, we were really concerned about somebody wanting to hurt the animals because I have over three hours of recordings of people threatening to kill me and to burn the place down. And really? we just, oh yeah. And you know what? is interesting about it though. I, I can't really take it personally because most of the people are so angry because of the fact that we have cats in cages right, and right. because we're not turning these cats loose. And so the cats are in cages here because they were born and bred at other places and abused yeah, there. Activity. <laughs> they weren't wild anyway. Yes. Yeah. So I'm glad that people hate that because I hate that. And my goal is no cats in cages. And the other thing is people think that you can just take a tiger that somebody has been abusing in a circus act and release it and you can't do that. That's not legal. There's a huge percentage of our population that actually believes that. And so that was the majority of the anger that I've I've been the the, uh, recipient of. But it's all good stuff. It just means people need to be better educated and that they're already on the path to wanting to protect these animals. So I'm thrilled about that. But still, we didn't want somebody coming in and poisoning the cats because a lot of people said they're better off dead. And so the, what we've had to do is only bring back our interns. Our interns are only here for three months at a time and they live on the property and they work six days a week. And they, they are like the backbone of the sanctuary as far as all of the animal care goes. But we're only allowing people who have been here before to come back. And the same thing with our volunteer program. If you were a volunteer before and for some reason moved away, got pregnant, whatever, left for a while, then we'll let those people come back. But we've not been taking in anybody new 
unless it's somebody that's like you know somebody's sister or somebody's brother right, or somebody right. you really people know. that you know you can count on family and, and trust them have you had to hire like professional security and stuff like that to in order to safeguard the facility or has it not gotten to that point we have so many people living on the property and we have so many surveillance cameras everywhere right and but they weren't there for surveillance. They're there as live webcams on the cats, but because right. they're pointing in every direction, you can see everything going on here. So it's turned out to be a great surveillance system. Has anything unusual popped up on the cameras in terms of people coming in or people trying to make a name for themselves? The only thing that we've seen are drones and like some, I don't even know what it was, maybe some type of an ultralight or something trying to come in and oh, hover okay. over and get pictures, you know, really close, a manned vehicle. So the unmanned and manned vehicles coming over the fence, but we haven't had anything else. What's happening around your proposed Big Cat Rescue Act? Like, how is that moving forward towards becoming enacted as legislation? We are so close to getting this enacted into law. And unfortunately, there's a pandemic and an election and all of this other stuff that is distracting Congress. So we have a majority in the House already that have signed on as co-sponsors, which is their way of alerting their colleagues if this comes to the floor for a vote, I'm for it. So we know that it'll pass. All it has to do is come to the floor for a vote. And it just hasn't been able to make it above all of the noise of the other things going on yet. But we're really hoping that in September that will change. It'll come in. It'll pass the House. We don't have as strong a support in the Senate. I think there's only like, I don't know, six or nine co-sponsors in the Senate. But it is bipartisan, so that's good. And we are really working the Senate side of it currently. So why I feel very confident be, that the bill will pass that. Why wouldn't everybody support it, though? It's kind of a, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, are there... Are there lobbyists on the other side that are for captive big cats? Yes. If you saw in Tiger King, Doc Antle in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, runs a cup petting operation there that makes a ton of money. And so they have hired um, a a very well-known lobbyist. He was formerly involved with ALEC. So he's very connected to the Republican Party. And they have had, he had worked for them and for the Zoological Association of America, but the ZAA just recently said they don't want any of their member organizations doing cub handling after Tiger King came out, which was great. So they're not supporting Frank Mitello any longer as their lobbyist, but Doc Antle apparently still has him on the payroll from what we've been told. So he's out there actively lobbying against us. And the way that they, the way that he makes that pitch is that he says each state should be able to make their own decision. It shouldn't be a federal decision. And oh, we so say that trying to make it a state's like a like a state's rights, like federal overreach issue and try and uh, not right. make it about the animals. Right. Interesting. So and he's giving a ton of money to counter your legislation. I don't have any way of knowing what he's paying, but I got to think that Frank Patello probably does not come cheap. (laughs) I'm sure not. So what can people do in the meantime to keep this in the public eye? I mean, beyond giving money in order to support the legislation, what else can people do to help? Actually, the biggest thing that people can do to help, even more important than the money, is to go to bigcatact.com and make the call of the wild. And so when they go to that website, they can either send a a tweet, a email, or they can make the phone call. 
if they make the phone call, we actually give them a little script that they'll hear right before they talk. And all it says is, please ask your boss to co-sponsor the Big Cat Public Safety Act. I mean, it's that easy. And we ask people to call every week, even if a person is already a co-sponsor, we still want to keep that top of mind so that they're just like, oh, for goodness sakes, let's just go ahead and have this hearing because we know it's going to pass. They just, we just got to get them to the floor. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I love that you do is you're very vocal about not wanting to see the normalization of captive tigers and captive big cats within popular culture. And I saw recently that you had some issues with the rapper Cardi B using big cats in her WAP video. Have you had any further engagement with her in terms of wanting to educate her about why she shouldn't have put those tigers in the video? I think when I had responded in the media to her, I didn't want to just come across as uh, dissing her for doing it. I wanted to be educating as to why that was a problem. And so with each of the media that I had alerted, I had sent them a notice saying that the reason that this is wrong is because when people see icons like her interacting with a big cat, then they want to emulate that. And that's what drives all of that cub handling and then all of the discarding of those animals. And I felt like if she knew that was what was going to happen from her doing it, maybe she would have a different opinion. I don't have any way to to talk to Cardi B. Yeah. I it's not like I got her on speed dial and can say, hey, sister, we need to talk this out. But that would be my message to her is that it just, it sends the wrong message and then it increases the abuse by celebrities doing that sort of thing. Absolutely. She has a tremendous platform. She has 120 million followers. You know, if she was to come out and say, we use CGI tigers because the normalization of this is wrong, it would be a huge victory for what you're trying to do. And we are all for using CGI and virtual reality and all of that because people want to see those beautiful images of cats and the cats do not want to participate. So it's a perfect way of getting what we want in, in technology that has just increased in leaps and bounds. Are there any other examples recently where, where you took a stand against the use of captive tigers you know, within this type of context? Farmers Insurance was running a ad with a cat in it. And so we contacted them and we said, this is why this is wrong. And they were like, you know, we get it. And so they stopped. And we've had so many successes like that. Porsche did that when they came out with their new model that was named the Macan, which is tiger in Indonesian, I think. And they did the same thing. They contacted, they actually reached out to all of their dealerships because one of their dealerships thought, oh, it'd be great to have a tiger to at the dealership to sell this car. And so we contacted the dealership and we contacted the dealer or the uh, manufacturer and they reached out to all of their dealerships and said, do not do that. <laughs> Such a bad idea. So yeah, we see people and big organizations like Disney said that they're not going to use live animals anymore in their productions. And so that was a, a huge huge win. TripAdvisor said that they would no longer promote places that are doing things like cub handling or swimming with dolphins. Expedia did the same. So it's it's all headed in the right direction. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I guess it's just important to keep putting that message out there. 
I love all of the merchandise that you have on your site. That stuff must be really helping, you know, funding a lot of the operations. I love that you're asking for a Baskin t-shirts and the, hey, all you cool cats and kittens face masks. What's the number one item right now? What's your top seller? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't handle our gift shop sales, so I couldn't tell you. I could yell to the girl in the next room and find out, but I don't know off the top of my head. Do you have a favorite? You know, the stuff I like the best in our gift shop are the pieces of art that my daughter does. She She's our photographer and she takes beautiful photos of the cats, but then she does like this digital mastering with like watercolors and well, behind me are a couple of her photo, photos that she did, but it's not really the artwork. I don't have anything in here that shows the art, but it's just the the artwork is just spectacular. So putting that on shirts and on caps and stuff like that, I, I think that that is my favorite stuff to see, but I could be a little biased because I'm just proud of her artistic ability. You're a proud mother. Why not? We saw a clip of the cameo video that you recorded that included 50 cents in the club. Did the rapper 50 cent reach out to you after he saw that? He didn't reach out to me, but apparently he had posted on his Twitter account, something to the effect of the song being magic, not just being music. It was magic. And boy, I got to agree with him. I I can't even tell you how many people have requested that song. And I didn't know the song. So, you know, the first person that requested it, I was like, I got to go listen to this on YouTube and see if I can memorize some of the words. And I was like, I'm not saying some of those words. (laughs) That's great. It must be so fun for you to engage with popular culture in that way since your celebrity has risen. Has Cameo been a fun side project for you? It's been fun, but more than anything, it's been really, it, it just makes me feel so connected to these people. You know, they, they contact me when they've had family tragedies. They're contacting me because they're all in quarantine from each other and they can't get together with the people they love. And I just feel like they've all invited me right into their living room. And yeah. so it's so nice to try and when they give me a request. Sometimes they tell me what they want. Other times I just get like the barest hints of who they are and what they are. And so trying to, you know, think, well, what would it be like to be that person and what are they going through and what can I do to make that fun or um, bearable at least? You know, you talk about that, you know, that reached out to you in the midst of family tragedies. Is there something in particular that you remember that really touched you? So many of them are people that are going through chemo and just feeling like, you know, can I take one more day of this? Can I battle this anymore? And some of the stuff is just so gut-wrenching. And they're having to do it alone. They're having to do it without their family and friends nearby. And so there's just so many like that. I've done like 1,600 of these so far. So I, I can't say that there's one that screams to the top. Is There's just been so many like that. Right, right. Of of course. And they all love you to say, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. And that's become like a catchphrase. What is that like for, you know, something that you've said as part of the organization to all of a sudden become like a part of popular culture? It must be crazy. It's been so weird. So every day I do a video called the Big Cat Briefing. And it's, um, I deal with like, I take all of the stuff that's happened at the sanctuary for the day and any big cat news that's going on and do a little one to five-minute video. And I always started with, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. And then after that became so widespread that other people were saying it, 
it was just, I'd be reading an article and I'd see somebody use that phrase or I'd see it on merchandise that wasn't anything I had anything to do with. And so I, I just found that to be so strange that something that was just kind of a, like a byline became so many other people's byline. What's but I love that they're saying it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it's obviously means that you're connecting with people. What's been your favorite of the parodies? Like, have you seen the Saturday Night Live version of you or, or any of those? I could just slap that woman. This whole, like, my kitty meow meow, kitty meow. And she would just, like, say all these really weird world, words all in a row. And so that became really popular, I guess, in in popular culture and people wanted me to to talk like that on the cameos and I'm like I have no idea how to talk like that that's that is not how I speak absolutely I mean it's it's weird how the parody of you all of a sudden can become what people think you're like it must be a, a strange disconnect for you now when you go out into public and have to deal with all of these different inaccurate versions of your personality or parodies I mean obviously they're in good fun but, you know, sometimes people can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And that's been the weird thing on Cameo. Every Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but so many people want me to sing. And I'm like, I was not the person pretending to sing in that show. That was somebody else pretending to sing. I didn't even pretend to sing. I don't sing. And yet that became that became like she sings. And it I, I just don't even know how that was made. That Absolutely. connection was made. Absolutely. But at the same time, like the fact that it has risen your profile, it all benefits what you're doing. So there must be a fine line between wanting to like shut the stuff down, but then also wanting to be able to maintain the platform that you have to be able to do the good work that you're doing. One of the big challenges I face all of the time is not preaching to the choir. I'm so surrounded by the choir and all the people that are animal lovers and understand that these big cats don't belong in cages and they just hate the idea of zoos and they hate the idea of captive breeding. But how do I reach the people who have never even thought about it before? (laughs) Where do I find those people? And I think I'm finding those people now. Yeah, I think you are. You know, the Cardi B's of the world or the 50 cents of the world or even, you know, being on Saturday Night Live, like if your message can get through, even through the parody, you know, you've won in a way. Well, I hope it's the cats that finally win because the cats did not win from what was presented in Tiger King. And the cats are really the ones that are suffering. And so if there is any way to turn this around and actually do some good for the cats, then it's going to be worth it. Yeah. And that's what we focus on in this show is, you know, obviously we are interested, we are fascinated with animals and we love animals, but it's really about that next step in how animals are manifest within popular culture and how that message gets out through media in a variety of different portrayals. You know, hopefully this conversation will have an impact when it gets released. I've always been so fascinated with how culture can take something and then it takes on a life of its own and how there is Carol Baskin, the person who is doing all this amazing work through Big Cat Rescue. Then there's Carol Baskin, the meme. And then there's all of these different versions. It's like Russian nest dolls of you, you know, fascinated by by how that it's almost becomes like a a world of mirrors for you almost. Absolutely crazy. I mean, it it just, (laughs) it just blows my mind. (laughs)
What's your mornings like now? Walk me through your day as Carol Baskin in August 2020, after all of this craziness, but you're still, you know, doing your work and being you. It's been a lot harder. Before COVID-19, we had a staff of about 20 people, and those 20 people were doing administrative type jobs, the really boring pencil pushing kind of things that are necessary to keep the sanctuary afloat. And now we have half of the number of people, but we still have to do all the same jobs. And my husband and I decided not to take a paycheck because we were having to let so many people go. So in addition to having to work twice as hard, we're also not being paid now. So it has been really, really um, (laughs) difficult to handle the flood of stuff coming at us every single day because just because we're having to deal with the loss of half of our crew. But in addition to that, then there are the cameos and there have been licensing deals that we've had to wade through and different people pitching different ideas for movies and docuseries and all kinds of stuff and trying to sort through which of those we think might be a good fit and all of the, my husband especially, has been dealing with so much of the legalese. He's got a law degree, but he never actually practiced law. So he can read through the contracts and look for the pitfalls and such. So there's all of that going on. And then the same thing here at the sanctuary, where by not having half of our staff handling administrative things, that means more of our people that are typically doing animal care or having to help with administrative things. And so that puts more burden on them as far as the animal care goes. So it's been, it's been really, really difficult. It's turned out to be doable. And I didn't know in March whether this would even be doable. My, when we first had to make this decision, I think we waited until like May before we let anybody go. And at that point in time, I was looking at this and thinking, we just, we're, we're never going to survive this. <laughs> never, we're never going to be able to pull out from this. I don't believe COVID-19 is going to be over anytime this year or next. And I think a lot of people are just so anxious for things to go back to normal and they're never going back to normal. This is our new normal and we got to figure out how to deal with it. And so looking at it, and I, I hope I'm wrong, but i I really don't think I am. So looking at that and thinking, how on earth are we going to continue to be able to take care of these animals, raise the funds necessary to take care of them? It looked like it was impossible. But now that we've done it a couple of months, it's like, yeah, we got this. We can do this. Yeah, it's always surprising what you can get used to when, you know, you're forced into to change. Now, will a lot of what you're doing then shift to more of a media focus because you're unable to do the tours and stuff like that? Are you sort of leaning more into what you're doing on Facebook and what you're doing on video? Like, will there be a TV show, stuff like that? We have a number of live webcams that were provided to us by explore.org. So like you can go watch a a hawk with its babies in a tree somewhere, or you can tune in and you can see Tiger Lake and you'll see Duchess our tiger down there swimming at the lake. So those are manned by Explore, but then we stream them. So just this past week, I asked, I have one of our people that she does our 3D videos that you can see in a headset. So when you put the headset on, it's like the cat right here in your face. Is that Oculus? Oh, wow. That's awesome. So we have over 100 videos that she's done in 3D. And she puts out a new one every week. 
but I asked her if she would be willing to help me by doing more of these live streams. So she got herself proficient on a piece of software that we use called Wirecast, where she can go to each one of those cameras and stream that out live to Facebook and then be there answering questions for people because they want that interaction. So she's just started doing that to try and bump that up a little. And then we used to have things where it'd be anywhere from two to 12 people would go around with one of our keepers while they were feeding the cats and they'd get to watch the cats getting fed. So now we do that on the weekends, but it's all just through live Facebook. And so everybody can tune in and see all of that going on. They do a keeper tour, which is cats getting like spices or perfume tubes or bloodsicles or things to play with. And so now we're doing those as live streams instead of doing them in person. And then Verkata just very nicely donated three more cameras. And tomorrow we'll be installing those so that we'll have more cameras on the cats that are live that people can watch all the time. When we do that, we'll have a dozen of them that are really good quality cameras that are live and probably half a dozen more that are not great quality, but (laughs) they're live. (laughs) And so we'll just try to figure out more ways that we can bring more of that into the public. And then I was just contacted by Facebook because of the 3D videos, and they want to talk to me tomorrow about more ways that they can share that because so many people are stuck at home and they're stuck in headsets. And so they're wanting to provide that kind of content. That's great. And I'm sure a ton of media has reached out to you since the Tiger King as well. Like, have you been offered your own TV show or, or anything like that? I have a list of about 175 different media outlets that we have on a waiting list. <laughs> um, and we are talking to some of them, but I can't talk about any of the stuff that we're actually working oh, okay. on. Okay. I understand. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, if that happens, that will be incredible for you because you'll be able to control the message and it'll be from your point of view that I'm sure that's something that must be incredibly enticing just from a, a messaging standpoint alone. Yeah, I think, There has not really been anything done to show the way these cats suffer. And I think that's why Tiger King was such a missed opportunity because they spent five years seeing how cats suffer all over the place. And you saw just this much of it. And there is just thousands of hours of that kind of abuse that if the public knew about, they would never stand for it. And then your legislation would would sail through and uh, we could be talking about something else how do you feel about kate mckinnon from saturday night live playing the carol baskin in in the tiger king movie has she reached out to you she has not reached out to me and i really hope that she does before she gets too far down the line with it i'd love to know what her take is on it and what she's thinking to do and see if there was any way that we could advise her we reached out to her through the media not through because i don't have any way of contacting kate mckinnon But we had posted publicly that we really hope that anybody, her, anybody that does any kind of follow-up programming doesn't end up doing what Cardi B did and hiring people that are exploiting and abusing cats. It's like, that is the worst thing you could do is abuse cats to show other people that you shouldn't abuse cats. Yeah, it's the purpose, right? (laughs) Yeah. And what would you want to say to her, you know, beyond obviously the cat message in, in terms of portrayal or in terms of if Kate McKinnon were listening right now, what would you want to say? For me, it's really all about the cats. And I really want that, I want their story to be told. And I think it's important for whoever's telling that story to actually get to know some of the cats until you actually meet them and know them, just like you know your pet at home. 
I don't think you can have a full appreciation of just how wicked it is to hold them in cages against their will. If I were to go out there right now and open up every single cage door, there wouldn't be a single cat on this property come nightfall. And it, you know, they get great food here. They get great vet care, but they don't care. They don't want to be in cages. And somebody who is telling their story needs to really know them and know that about them. That's all the time we have today on The Pet Show. I want to thank our guest, Carol Baskin, for taking the time to speak with us today. Check out Big Cat Rescue on Facebook or at BigCatRescue.org for more information. And please, if you haven't already done so, check us out at The Pet Show Podcast on Instagram. And while you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. It really does make a huge difference. The Pet Show is brought to you by Audio Up Media and is written, produced, and hosted by me, Jimmy Jelinek, with co-host Dennis Quaid. Executive producers are Jared Gustat and Dennis Quaid. Our editor is Bill Marked, story producer Emma Rapold, and our head of production is the mighty Tyler Dorson. We'll talk to you later. Meow, 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 meow.